Cabinet of Curiosities by James Henry Chapter 26 What Rosa had been anticipating for the flight from the Cabinet to the Hotel Resplendent was a sort of gentle soaring up above Warmington. Perhaps a brief glimpse of the town from above, last rays of sunshine twinkling off the sea, that sort of thing, followed by a dignified landing on the roof of the hotel. In reality, Rosa's first experience of flight went something like this. This seems to be rather too fast. Also, there's an apple core in his pocket, almost half as big as me. Weather vane! This apple core really should have been thrown away about a week ago. Brick wall! There's another pirate, and that's one of the women, I think. And there's an air conditioning unit! Gary is possibly a better flyer than I take him to be. Maybe I should just... We can't fit through there! Oh, we did. And finally, I feel sick. By the time Gary had skidded to a landing on a flat, icy patch on the roof of the Hotel Resplendent, Rosa was feeling decidedly unwell and smelling strongly of apple. She crawled weakly out of his pocket and lay for a moment on the freezing roof. By the time she was able to stand up, realised she was on the edge of a precipice that was, to her current scale, about a thousand feet to the ground, and rather abruptly sit down again, Gary still hadn't stopped talking. In fact, he'd been talking all the way through the flight, but a combination of a cold wind blowing in her face at about 100 miles an hour, and a desperate need to cling to the pocket's fabric to avoid being thrown out as he'd swooped and jinked in the air, had prevented her taking much of it in. See me on that last bit? Done it before, but that was way the fastest time. The monkey's eyes were shining, and both paws and wings were flailing about wildly as he described the journey. Rosa managed a weak smile. It was such a change to see Gary being anything other than a sulking bundle of fur and feathers wrapped around the mobile phone, that she didn't want to do anything to spoil the moment. Wicked, he said. Shame angry paws and old cardigan face couldn't see it, though. I'll be sure to tell the Professor and Tamor you completed the first part of the journey with unnecessary flashiness and at great personal danger to the pair of us, promised Rosa gravely. Oh, would you? asked Gary gratefully. That would be brilliant. Rosa looked around for a way into the hotel. Even at her current size, she was too big to fit through the ventilation grill set into the roof. And also, she had a feeling some kind of whirling bladed style fan would be involved at some point. Dropping down the chimney didn't feel like much of a plan either. One of them windows is open, said Gary, pointing to a small, raised section of roof just above their heads. I could chuck you in there if you like. Maybe you could place me gently in there instead, suggested Rosa. Gary shrugged, rolling his eyes, then picked her up and half leaped, half flew to the top of the building. Sure enough, there was a small, narrow window, too small for Rosa to have entered in her normal size. Gary lifted Rosa up to the window, and she had a quick peek through, a corridor, empty in both directions. Okay, she whispered, in there. Gary reached his arm through and down as far as he could, until Rosa was about an inch from the flat top of a storage heater. Dangling from Gary's finger for a moment, she screwed up her courage and let go. The drop winded her, but didn't hurt, and then she was inside the hotel. Instinctively, she gave Gary a thumbs up. To her surprise, he gave her a thumbs up back, then looked a little embarrassed at how uncool he'd just been, and tried to turn it into some sort of street gesture instead. It didn't really work. Remember, mouthed Rosa, three taps on the window when they're back, and it's time to go. Whatever, Gary mouthed back and flapped off to a corner of the roof to play a game on his mobile phone. Sitting on the storage heater, Rosa took the wooden box out of her pocket and pressed the catch to the right again. 
She was taking the mist sprayer out of her backpack, even as the heater shrank beneath her. Then she was normal-sized again. Footsteps were coming up the stairs now, and Rosa didn't plan on being seen. Turning the mist sprayer towards herself, she worked the handle with her thumb, the spray pleasantly cool against her face with a slight aftertaste of blackcurrant. The voices grew louder. Not the deep voices of the tattooed men Rose had heard in the Warmington pub, or the higher voices of the women, but something in between. The voices of children. Or teenagers. Rosa looked down at herself. Nothing had changed, other than she was now slightly damp all over. For a moment she looked wildly at the other end of the corridor, but it was too far away. And even if she made it, who was to say there wasn't something far worse round the corner? The corridor was certainly too bare to try and evade them by going small. Either way, she'd be seen. Two boys in tracksuits rounded the corner, a third trailing behind them slightly, and Rose was about to shout out and fiercely warn them, what exactly? That her jumper was a bit clammy? That she could overwhelm them with the power of black current? Then she saw all three were holding swords, proper, sharp-looking swords, and she felt herself go pale. But the boys showed no sign of seeing her. The lead boy was boasting about something. How much the Earl owed him for helping out, Rosa heard as they grew nearer, and that he'd promised to pay him. Millions of pounds were mentioned, as were gold jewellery and the recording contract, though even the boy sounded a little doubtful on the last one. The other boy was pretending to listen, but was more interested in scraping his sword along the hotel wall, scratching a line through painted plaster as he went. They were only a few feet away now. There was no way they couldn't have seen her. Rosa moved a hand in front of her eyes and saw nothing although she could feel the movement in the air as she flapped it around. She looked down at herself. Nothing. The liquid had worked. The boys were nearly upon her now, and she ducked down out of the way of the second boy's sword, even as it knocked a small picture off the wall. They didn't even seem to notice, although Rosa did see the third boy, giving the fallen picture a small, guilty look as he passed. Then the boys were off around the corner, their voices fading, and Rosa was alone once more. She gave them a few minutes head start before moving off, but made the mistake of trying to look at her feet as she went, and nearly lost her balance completely. This invisibility thing was trickier than it looked. Leaning against the wall, she waited until her heart had stopped pounding before trying again. Then she turned back and looked at the fallen artwork. It was an odd-looking thing. In fact, it was hardly a picture at all, just a grey space in a simple frame. And when Rosa picked it up to look at it, and it would have looked most odd if anyone had walked down the corridor at that moment and seen it hanging in midair, she saw it wasn't even grey, not really. It was the colour of nothing, although it smelt very faintly of the sea. Rosa hung it back up, over the line scratched in the wall. Perhaps it was a silly thing to do, but if the boys returned, they would surely assume a member of their hotel staff to be responsible, if they thought about it at all. Anyway, it felt like an appropriately professorish thing to do, to show what side she was on. Now to find the Earl's room. Rosa thought of the map in her pocket, and would have kicked herself if there wasn't a good chance she would have fallen over. The map, like everything else in her backpack, was invisible. She would have to go by memory. Reality one, plan nil, thought Rosa, and decided to head back up the corridor in the direction the boys had come from. At least a dozen hotel doorways stretched in both directions. Unfortunately, no one back at the cabinet had been able to tell Rosa the number of the room the Earl was staying in, so it looked like she was just going to have to be patient. Gently, she turned the handle of the nearest door. It was locked, of course. Reality two, plan nil. Well, she was on the top floor, so the penthouse suite had to be one of these, surely. Rosa sighed and looked about for clues. 
The Hotel Resplendent was certainly worthy of its name, especially when you knew Warmington wasn't that big a town. The walls, where they hadn't been scratched, were painted a deep, expensive-looking red, with details such as picture rails and light switches picked out in gold. The carpet was a pale cream, which didn't seem terribly practical to Rosa, and if it had been any thicker, the indentations of her feet would have been plain to see. She made a mental note to walk around any rugs. There really were a surprising number of drawbacks to being invisible, although one advantage is that while you were pondering the decor, a maid could wheel a cart around the corner of the corridor and be completely oblivious to your presence, only a few feet away. One of the bedroom doorways opened, and Rosa jumped, but it was only a second maid, carrying an armful of bed linen, which she dumped on the first maid's cart, placing it with a fresh set. All them blokes with tattoos and gold teeth on the first floor, said the first maid. They might dress smart, but they don't half have some odd habits. Ten of them, crammed into each room, when that earls bought enough rooms for all of them, twice over. She was round and elderly, with a friendly face, and spoke with a soft country accent. The second maid, who was younger and paler, nodded gloomily in agreement. And they keep tying sheets together, Mrs P, she said. Clearly the first maid had some slight seniority although the uniforms were identical. Hanging them up to sleep from? It'll do no good to them light fittings. Hammocks, said Mrs P. Language, said the second maid, and both women laughed, practically hooting at each other. Rosa couldn't quite see what the joke was, but the way to find the Earl's room had become clear. If the maids continued in their slow, trundling progress, then surely, sooner or later, they would come to the room Rosa was after. She could slip in behind them, take the coin and be gone before anyone knew what had happened. The younger maid reached for the handle of the next door, but Mrs P stopped her, frowning. You don't want to go in there, she warned. That's where them women sleep. The maid leaped back from the door as if stung and shivered. You say sleep, she said. Little Polly went in there on the first morning, said them beds had never been touched, but they'd been in there all night. Room full of old books and bubbling things, and manager says he saw a toad. And Polly didn't last long after that, neither. Mrs P sniffed. No loss, she said. Probably just got on the train with the rest of them. And if not, well. She shrugged her ample shoulders to suggest that whatever fate had befallen poor Polly was probably her own fault. Rosa decided she didn't much like Mrs P. The maids went past the next three doors. The last had a pair of black boots put out to be cleaned, and a tray, on which was a small pile of white bones. Rats, said Mrs P, and tipped the tray into a rubbish bag slung from the end of the cart. Don't tell manager, said the other maid. You know what he's like, the rodents. Mad about them he is. Traps everywhere. They were at the last door now, and Mrs P had produced a swipe card from her pocket. It was edged with gold, and Rosa felt her heart pounding. Could this be the one? The women, annoyingly, were still chuntering on about rats and mice and managers. Mrs P drew the card across a ridge above the door handle and they stepped inside. Rosa keeping as close behind them as she dared, lest the door shut and she be left in the corridor. Chapter 27 The room was enormous. Rosa would have guessed it was the Earl's, even without the black suit jacket hanging on the back of a fat leather armchair. A fire burned cheerily in the grate. This must be the place where the Earl made his broadcast, Rosa realised. A single window looked out over the sea, where the sun had now set, and the street lamps were coming on, one at a time. 
One of the Earl's taxis, chunky and almost insect-shaped, prowled along the seafront. Then Mrs. P drew the curtains and Rosa could see no more. Her progression towards the jacket was slow and careful. The maids were bustling around the room, plumping pillows, changing linen and dusting in a thorough, angry sort of way. And Rosa had to slip between them in a slow dance as she avoided dusters, flicked sheets and spray cleaner. At one point, Rosa's backpack swung from her shoulder and would have knocked against Mrs P's arm, but she managed to grab it in time, flattening herself to the wall as the woman rushed past to stop the other maid flicking a duster over a nearby desk. Best leave that, she advised. Earl Dorincourt, he didn't like no one touching his things. Pretty though, said the maid, staring wistfully at a huge green gem lying casually on the desktop next to a vinyl record sleeve. Imagine being that rich. You can just have lovely things lying around. Keep in with the Earl, replied Mrs P with a wink, and you'll not have far to go. He looks after those as are loyal to him, I've noticed. While they were talking, Rosa slipped a hand into the Earl's left jacket pocket. Nothing. The right pocket held only a silk handkerchief, and the small breast pocket was empty. There was another pocket inside, and keeping an eye on the women while they planned how best to keep him with the Earl, Rosa was able to slide her hand around to check. Nothing in there either. Now the women were packing the cart and leaving the room. Rosa had a split second to consider sneaking out after them, then saw one of them had left an interior door ajar, revealing a walk-in wardrobe larger than the room she'd been given in the cabinet. That settled it. Rosa waited a full minute until the women had left, then tried the main door very gently. As she had hoped, it could be opened perfectly easily from the inside. She let the door shut again, just as quietly, then looked back at the room. I'm starting to enjoy this, thought Rosa. Indeed, there was something strangely pleasurable about being able to snoop about the Earl's property. For a moment, Rosa considered writing a message in the bathroom mirror or moving all the furniture an inch or so to the left, then realised it was the invisibility talking. The professor had warned her it would start to play tricks with her mind if she remained like this for too long. Time to find the coin and get out. Except Rosa couldn't find the coin. Plenty of pockets in a dozen or so jackets hanging up in the wardrobe did have cash in them, but either notes, or denominations too big, or too small. She even checked in the shoes, but there was nothing. The desk then. The surface was cluttered, but no coins were to be seen. Rosa lifted up the record sleeve, which had on it a picture of a large lady with her hair in plaits, but there was nothing underneath. Inside a drawer was what Rosa thought at first must be another jewel, although it had no facets and was shaped more like an egg. It was sparkling with light, warm in her hand, and undoubtedly very valuable, but it wasn't what Rosa was after. She put it back in the drawer and slid it shut, very gently. This wasn't looking good. A card swiped through the lock outside, and the Earl walked in. Instinctively, Rosa looked for a place to hide, but of course, he just walked straight past her. The Earl was wearing another suit Rosa hadn't seen before, this one of a dark red hue. He was singing a song to himself, almost under his breath. But Rosa was just able to make out the words of the chorus, the gist of which seemed to be that all small things should have bows in their tails. It should have been a jolly little song, but something about the way the Earl sang it made it distinctly sinister. He held a white tube in his left hand, which he placed on top of the desk before entering the white marble bathroom to turn on one of the heavy gold taps. Rosa moved quietly into a corner, 
where she could watch the Earl with no danger of him accidentally bumping into her. He seemed in a good mood, still singing as he took his jacket off and laid it down carefully on the bed, then removed his shoes and placed them neatly next to the armchair. Rosa was rather worried the undressing would continue. A naked Earl wasn't something she particularly wanted to see. But fortunately, the Earl then moved into the bathroom, closing the door firmly behind himself. Taking the opportunity, Rosa sprang across the room and delved into the pocket of the jacket that now lay across the bed. Inside was a 50 pence piece with the year 1973 written across it. Taking the three 20 pence pieces from her pocket, Rosa rubbed them against the jacket sleeve until they were visible, then slipped them into the pocket, taking out the 50 pence piece. Feeling around in her backpack, she took out the mist sprayer. There was hardly any liquid left now, but it was enough. She squirted the last few drops over the coin, turning it over in her hands as she did so, watching it fade slowly from sight, although she could still feel it, heavy and warm in her hand. Rosa put the coin in her pocket and was about to slip quietly out of the room when her attention was caught by the white tube the Earl had been carrying. It was a roll of paper. Rosa could just see the word Allery on it. In the bathroom, the taps squeaked off and for a moment there was silence. Rosa poised perfectly halfway between the desk and the door. Then there was a splash, a loud sigh as the Earl lowered himself into the bathwater and a contented silence. She turned back to the paper and quietly unrolled it. It looked like a map, although it didn't entirely make sense. Some rooms that should have been connected weren't, and others that couldn't have been were. The word Rosa had seen had been part of Natural History Gallery. Each of the rooms was labelled, with names such as Library, Armoury, Map Room and Conservatory. Written at the top was the word Cabinet. But there was something else, a small piece of paper that had been rolled up with a map almost as an afterthought. In fact, it was so thin and so small, it looked as though it had simply stuck itself to the heavier paper. Rosa held it up to the light. It was a receipt, although this one didn't look like it had come from a shop. A faint watermark at the top had the letters D-I intermingled, the same logo as on the internet and the Warmingtonian's laptops. The rest of the writing on the paper was faint and mostly faded away, but in the centre were clearly visible the words Internal Transfer are due, and then simply one unit. The rest of the receipt was illegible. She stared at the paper for a long time, until even the bits she could read lost their meaning. Rosa considered taking the map and the receipt back with her, but she had no invisibility serum left, and the roll of paper floating along the corridor on its own was bound to attract attention. So instead she stared at the map, trying to fix every detail in her head to tell the professor. What were those arrows placed outside the building and pointing inwards? One of the arrows had a P written underneath. Another had WW. Pirates, thought Rosa with a sudden sick feeling. And the other must mean witches? Wicked witches. This was a plan of attack. There was a splash from the bathroom and the Earl began singing again. Time to get back to the cabinet. Rosa peeked out into the corridor. The coast was clear. Letting the door shut almost silently behind her, she raced as quickly as she dared back to the window above the storage heater and tapped on the glass three times. Nothing happened. She sighed. It wasn't altogether surprising. Pushing the window open, Rosa stepped out onto the flat section of roof 
now approximately ten times smaller than when she last stepped onto it. The night air was cold on her face after the central heated plushness of the hotel, and there was a very slight breeze. Rosa kept one hand flat against the roof and was careful not to look down. Gary, she whispered, as loudly as she dared. Nothing. Rosa edged her way further around the roof, in the direction where she'd last seen Gary playing on his mobile phone. Still nothing. Or rather, on the flat tiles, turning a little in the breeze, was a single iridescent feather. Gary was gone. Then there was a roar, from just a few feet away, and Rosa knew her theft had been discovered. <laughs>